0: Welcome to this episode of Trauma Talk. We'll be discussing non-accidental trauma with Dr. Carrie Weeks, who is a pediatrician and child abuse specialist. Would you go ahead and introduce yourself, Dr. Weeks?
1: Sure, yeah. Thank you so much for having me. This is my first podcast experience, so I'm kind of psyched about it. Um, Yes, my name is Dr. Carrie Weeks, and I am a general pediatrician as well as a child abuse specialist uh, with the University of Kansas School of Medicine here in Wichita, Kansas and I have been on faculty here for over 10 years now. Um, I'm a Kansas native, I was born in Hutchinson and went to uh, K-State for my undergrad years and went to medical school right here in Kansas and graduated from KU in Wichita in 2002 and then completed my residency in pediatrics and also my fellowship in child abuse pediatrics at Children's Mercy in Kansas City. So been here um, for a long time And uh, then I moved back closer to home, and I've been on faculty ever since. I have a balance between uh, seeing um, children with all concerns of maltreatment and also teaching future pediatricians and folks in the community about child maltreatment. So it's a great uh, balance for me. I get to see um, lots of kids, and then I get to help other people identify abuse and respond.
0: So So Dr. Weeks, how would you classify non-accidental trauma?
1: Well, it's a fancy way of saying physical abuse. So, any trauma that is not accidental or inflicted. So, um, just another name for physical abuse.
0: And are all physicians, nurses, and other healthcare workers required by law to report suspected abuse?
1: Yes. So, healthcare professionals are considered mandated reporters. And what that means is if you have a concern that anyone um, in a vulnerable position is being maltreated then you are required by law to report that to the protection center. Um, I like to just mention, I think there's a lot of barriers to reporting. And one that I hear frequently uh, from providers um, is that they're just, maybe they weren't totally sure. And they felt like they, uh, they really didn't wanna make a report if it could potentially um, be a false report or they just felt like they didn't wanna accuse anyone of something um, if they weren't totally sure. And so I would just say, you know, you don't have to be 100% sure of who exactly did what. You are simply um, passing on the concern to another party for them to investigate and find out more information. Um, so if you do see a child uh, with injuries that aren't matching up, or um, they make a disclosure or a statement that makes you concerned, Please pass that on, even if you're not exactly sure of all of the details. I mean, that's what uh, Department and Children and Families. That's where a lot of law enforcement. That's what they do. Um, And you could be, um, you could be saving a child's life. Very honestly, I've seen that happen many times.
0: Would you say error in patient favor then on reporting?
1: Yes. Um, You know, our as healthcare providers, you know, we want to advocate um, for the health and safety of our patients, and so um, this is a A huge step in doing that, um, particularly in the in the case of a vulnerable child that might be abused.
0: And we'll have these numbers on our landing pages, but you can call the Kansas Protection Report Center at 1-800-922-5330. If you're an outlying facility who works with Wesley, please feel free to call us at 1-800-362-3292 to speak with Wesley's child abuse care experts. Uh, you can ask for the on-care team physician. Uh, So, Dr. Weeks, how does a patient interview with a parent play into suspecting non-accidental trauma?
1: Well, I would say, first of all, that um, children with concerns of maltreatment, physical abuse, um, sexual abuse, neglect, present in almost every type of venue, right? Um, You're going to see them in your primary care practice, the emergency department, um, EMS um, calls. And so it's probably many times not going to be on the forefront of your mind. It's not necessarily going to be why the child presented. So keeping um, concerns of maltreatment and um, some level of awareness and suspicion in your mind is crucial when you're talking about um, when, when you see a child with some sort of traumatic injury. You have to kind of keep it in your differential diagnosis, right? Um, and then, um, again, just a good history and physical exam. Um, the history, like like every other diagnosis, is really critical. And some of the common um, histories that we see in cases of child maltreatment, particularly physical abuse, are um, a child will show up with the traumatic injuries, uh, but there is no history of trauma, or the history just clearly does not fit. Um, you know the, the history is that the child, you know, rolled off the sofa. But the child's injuries are clearly beyond the scope of a shortfall. Um, the histories, uh, the injuries are blamed on you know a pet or a toddler sibling, and the injuries are clearly much more severe than something that you know a toddler whacking the child with a small toy would cause. So just really looking for inconsistencies um, that the injuries are just not consistent with with the history provided. Um, The other thing we often see is that the history isn't um, developmentally compatible with the child. Um, If you have a six-week-old that the parents say they laid in the middle of a king bed and the child supposedly rolled off the bed, that does not make sense because we know that a six-week-old does not roll, certainly isn't going to roll from the middle of a large bed. So just thinking through the history that you've been given to make sure that it it really makes sense for the development of the child. Um, and that's honestly why we get so worried about physical injuries in non-mobile kids, because they don't have that capacity to really get themselves in a whole lot of trouble, right? Um, and that um, so when we see injuries in those children, it really raises concern. The last thing I'll say about history, you really have to look, um, listen closely for changes in the history. And this, um, this goes back to um, just really trying to get as much detail as you can when you take a primary history and um, looking for changes as uh, the story is told. Uh, for example, if the parents or historian gives uh, one, one set of causes for an injury from to the, in the emergency department, and then the story completely changes by the time the child is admitted. I mean, that right there should be a red flag, right? That the, the history has not been consistent.
0: What are the common pitfalls during the physical exam that people overlook?
1: Then really you're looking at physical exam. And as far as tips for a physical exam, I think the biggest one is really to look at the whole child. I mean, you really have to, you know, look under the diaper, strip the child down, make sure you're looking at their whole body and just take a step back. And um, sometimes it's easy to get fixated or caught up in one specific injury and miss others. Child presents with one traumatic injury, just make sure you're looking over their whole body um, so that you don't miss anything. And then looking for specific patterns and injuries that might be have a higher specificity or concern for abuse. Do
0: you have any acronyms that help keep uh, non-accidental trauma in the forefront of your mind when doing an assessment?
1: I would say... And this is what I would, when I teach residents and folks out in the community, um, we know that the most common injury in physical abuse is bruising. And bruising is something that, you know, you can see. And if you can recognize patterns of bruising or injury that are concerning for abuse, you can catch a large proportion of physically abused kids. Not all, but you can catch a, a lot. So um, as a provider, if you get really good at looking for and recognizing um, concerning bruising patterns, that is a huge step forward in being able to recognize physical abuse in your practice, um, in your community. And I I personally, my favorite mnemonic uh, is the 10-4 rule, and that is any child four years or younger with bruising of the torso, ears, or neck. So torso would be where your swimsuit covers, right? Includes your chest, back, buttocks, upper thighs, um, ears. We see a lot of pinna bruising. Make sure you look at the ears really well. And the neck, um, certainly want to be concerned about strangulation and neck injury. Or any child four months or younger with any bruising. And again, that really speaks to any injuries of those non-mobile infants. So if you can identify those injuries, um, you are going to be well on your way to identifying um, concerns of abuse in the children you see.
0: Any injuries um, besides bruising around the face that we should be on the lookout for?
1: Um, Yes, there's another mnemonic called FACES, and I think it's really helpful in distinguishing uh, common infant, or I guess toddler, I would say toddler uh, facial bruising. With things that you should be more concerned with. And I think it's when you think about normal toddler bruising, bruising, you know, the forehead donk, right? The goose egg, the split chin from falling against the coffee table. Um, th- those are very common um, injuries. And those are injuries over the bony prominences of the face, right? So forehead, um, your eyebrow, um, the bony part of your um, zygomatic arch, your chin. Um, Those are common places when kids fall that they may be injured. What aren't so common are kind of the softer, more inset parts of the face. Um, Looking for oral injuries, so frenulum tears, particularly in non-mobile infants, are a concern um, because uh, that is a very common mechanism for that is someone shoving a bottle or a spoon in an infant's mouth to get them to eat or shut them up.
0: And that's... I'm sorry, and that's the ligament that connects.
1: It connects your, uh, your gu- your teeth, your gum line to your lip. So, um, it, so any any oral injuries, any bruising or tears in the mouth of a non-mobile infant um, would be concerning. Um, the angle of the jaw. So any, and that kind of goes along with, with neck and uh, and jaw pattern. We see a lot of. Um, we see a very common pattern where there'll be. Uh, fingerprint marks along the child's jawline from someone gripping their jaw or trying to force feed them, force a bottle in their mouth. So looking for any bruising along the jaw is concerning. The soft part of the cheek, again, that if it's not over a bony prominence, it's just less likely to be injured. The eyelids, the subconjunctiva or just a subconjunctival hemorrhage, those are uncommon in accidental injury. And then anything that's patterned. So to familiarize yourself with um, what a slap mark looks like um, would be um, helpful as well. So, um, you know, most of us that see kids regularly or have children are familiar with the more accidental patterns of, of childhood injury. Every, every kid I know has had the goose egg on the forehead. So just um, also familiarizing yourself with the things that are higher risk would be helpful.
0: So for our health care providers, Looking at their initial workup, whether it be in a a small rural ER or an urgent care, how would you describe doing a good initial workup?
1: And I think when I talk about this, um, or when you know you look at the literature, it's really focused on the youngest kids because the youngest kids, the kids that are uh, not verbal, those are the kids that are at the highest risk for serious physical abuse and death. So the highest uh, rate of death from non-accidental trauma is in our our infants under one year, right? So um, a lot of the literature and a lot of the preventative measures are really focused on uh, infants and young toddlers that really can't tell us what's going on. Um, I would just advise if you see a child, uh, and I would say under three, um, with concern of physical abuse, um, that you really consider doing some additional medical workup. The standard of care would be a child under two years of age with any physical uh, concerns of physical abuse, any physical findings, bruising, um, a fracture that's poorly explained, that that child have a skeletal survey. And it would, it's helpful to talk to the radiologist in your community and make sure that they um, feel comfortable doing that and have the capability to do a full skeletal survey. A full skeletal survey has, you know, like 14, I mean, it has, it has a ton of images. Um, the old-fashioned baby gram, where you just take like one x-ray of the entire baby's body, really, I mean, the literature shows is a very poor screen for abuse and for fractures. So please um, find, find out who in your community feels comfortable doing that. And I would recommend a full skeletal survey for any child under two that you have concerns of physical abuse. Um, and in that same uh, vein, I have a very low threshold for doing a head CT on um, infants under one or any child under two with head and face trauma or any neurological changes. Sometimes that feels like a little bit of overkill when you have a child sitting there smiling at you. But the literature is very clear that um, young children with other abusive injuries and a normal neurologic exam have a very reasonable rate of. CT findings for abuse, so um, it's it's not it's not overkill. <laughs> so when you start talking about um, doing this additional workup um, and and the potential um, safety issues, I mean safety needs to be the you know primary issue, right? When you have someone in your clinic or emergency department, um, many times these kids need to be admitted. It's just easier um, you can ensure their safety. You can get the remainder of the medical work up. You can uh, call and consult um, our team if you need to, if you need to talk to a a trauma, pediatric trauma specialist. Um, Sometimes these kids, um, if they have intracranial findings, will need a pediatric ophthalmologist to do a retinal exam. Um, So it it kind of opens a can of worms, and it should in these most young and vulnerable kids. So I would really consider um, admission for these young kids. Um, and if you can do that in your community, awesome. Um, oftentimes we found that uh, kids end up being transferred to a higher level of care um, either here at Wesley, um, and there, there are other hospitals in the state uh, that also um, have um, excellent child abuse teams that can take care of the children as well.
0: As an outlining facility, I transfer a patient to Wesley. Mm-hmm. Should I still make a police report in the town that I'm in, or is that something Wesley will take care of?
1: That's a great question. You know, it never hurts to make a mandated report. If you, um, in your outlawing community, make, uh, you know, law, notify law enforcement and make a mandated report, and then the child comes to uh, Wichita and we do the same here, um, the, no harm done. I mean, that is, that is awesome. Um, it, what is a problem is that when everybody thinks somebody else is doing it, Right. And honestly, I have found the sooner that um, authorities are, are notified, it, it, the better. Um, it just it helps everything go a little bit smoother. So if you are not sure, um, I would just encourage you to go ahead and make that report or just clearly communicate um, when you're transferring the patient whose responsibility that's going to be. And then just know that um, if your patient comes to Wichita, that myself or one of my partners we'll be following up um, very closely with those authorities and, and the patient and you as well. So,
0: Dr. Weeks, is there anything else you'd like to share with the audience?
1: I would say one more uh, point, just talking a little bit about our youngest uh, victims of abuse. You know, the literature is very clear that abuse tends to escalate over time. And then we, when we see uh, children who... Uh, die from abusive injuries, which again is most likely our youngest children, children under one. When we look back, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty. When we look back on those kids, their medical records, it's very common that we see um, tra- traumatic injuries um, or, you know, what you might consider a, quote, minor abusive injury or a bruising pattern that may or may not have been recognized. Um, a frenulum tear, a small pinna bruise, um, that was in their past um, prior to them presenting with some, you know, really horrific or slash fatal injuries. So um, when you see children in your practice in your ER that have what you might consider a minor injury, um, please realize that that is. Um, it's very, very important to still report those and take those injuries seriously because you may be in a position to prevent a child death.
0: Thank you for being on the show, Dr. Weeks. I greatly appreciate it. We hope you listening out there will like, listen, and subscribe to this podcast. If you have any questions about this podcast or any episodes we've had in the past, please email me at aAron. S U T T O N at wesleymc.com, and you can also find our landing page at wesleytraumatalk.podbean.com. If you look on the left side of the page. There's an additional resources. Click that link. You'll find educational objectives, and you'll also see additional education objectives for all past episodes. Thank you for listening, and we'll catch you next even Tuesday.